Take your Bibles to Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3. We continue this evening the series that we began, I guess, what was it, three weeks ago now. We began a series called The Devil's Dirty Delights. And uh, we're going to continue that this evening. And I hope that it has been a blessing and I hope it will continue to be a blessing. Now we will, con- we will conclude really with the two verses that we've been studying so far this evening. But we will pick up where the passage continues to read on uh, next week. It's exciting because as we've mentioned, the Bible tells us here in this passage that we are to put off these things. We're to put off these things like anger and wrath and malice and what will continue tonight. We will put off these things as a change of garments. We are to take them off. But then the Bible goes on to tell us, and God never asks you to take away something that He does not replace it with something better. And so He says, take off these clothes, and then the Bible goes on to say, and these are what you're to put on. So next week we'll talk uh, not about the devil's dirty delights, but God's wonderful replacement to these things. So hopefully it'll be a blessing to you, but we can't get ahead of ourselves. Uh, uh, So Colossians chapter number 3, verse number 1, the Bible says, If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory." Mortify, and we spoke specifically about what this word means. It means to put to death. In a very literal sense, it means to execute these things in your life. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now we are to be dead to those things as Christians. They're not to draw our appetite. Uh, It's as if we have gone on a, a healthy diet and these things no longer are our uh, uh, taste. They're no longer an allure to us because we are Christians. And now we like uh, good things like steak and venison and healthy milkshakes and stuff like that. Verse number 6. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. Now that's past tense. She used to be involved in these things. These things used to control you. They used to be very alive and alluring to you. But now you know Christ. And He's changed everything as we spoke this morning. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And that's the type of reality we're now faced with. No longer are we alive to these things. We're dead to these several things. The Bible goes on to say, But now... Before was past tense, but now we've moved into the present tense. Ye also put off all these. So there's a big difference between mortify and put off. Put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we ask tonight that you would bless this sermon. I pray, Lord, that you meet with us in just the short time we have together. 
And that your Holy Spirit would truly make God's Word come alive. Not, Lord, because of me, but because of who you are and who your Word is and who each person in this room is to you. They're your child. And Lord, as a loving Father, you want to instruct us and help us in this life. And Lord, there's every person by their testimony here tonight has stated uh, that they want to know you more. They want to understand their, your will for their life. And so, Father, please meet with us this evening and reveal these things to us out of your holy and perfect word. Lord, I ask that you would uh, completely guide me as I stand to speak your word. I pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Now, in complete transparency, I have to admit something. Several weeks when I read through this passage, it spoke to me as, uh, uh, as no doubt maybe you've seen in my preaching, I was very passionate about the message of this. How Christians aren't to uh, 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 deal with some of the things we deal with nowadays. We were never, that was never God's will. God wanted to, uh, to liberate us, to free us from the bondage of some of these sins. And then other sins would be almost like flies. They'd be pesky. And we would have to completely combat them every single day. And that's what the Bible says. But I have to admit, as I was studying it and I was preparing for it, I kind of thought in the back of my mind, there will be a bunch of people who won't like this. A lot of people don't mind when you preach on homosexuality as long as they don't deal with it. And, uh, oh, let me say this. I meant to say this. We need to be in prayer for those in Orlando. Uh, that is a terrible, terrible tragedy. We need to be in prayer for the victims and the victims' families. And I, I am just so mortified that anybody would do what that man did. And it's obvious he does not know our God at all. And uh, uh, our God is love for all men, and Christ died for all men. He did not come to uh, cast judgment on them. That's reserved for a later date. He came to cast compassion upon this world. And so please, please pray for the victims uh, there in Orlando. Amen. But I've noticed in my lifetime that it's, a lot of people get very excited and say amen on things that they might not struggle with as much, and then the church house tends to get a little bit more silent when uh, the Bible starts hitting much closer to home. And frankly, I've not heard very much preaching in my life on anger, Amen. wrath, malice, uh, filthy communication, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 and blasphemy, and, and lying to one another. I've not heard much preaching on that. So I thought to myself, there'll be a lot of people that won't like this. And I just kind of said, well, I'll have to get over a bunch of hurt feelings, and I'll have to take a baby aspirin at night and go to bed, but I will just preach God's Word, because I believe that's what God wants me to do. But truly, the way that people have received this, and this is probably not universal and it's not collective um, by any stretch, but the way uh, uh, many people have received this message has been quite surprising to me. I cannot tell you the number of people who have approached me and said, Brother Andrew, I thank you for preaching that. I, I really struggle with that. And let me just say, that is encouraging. It's encouraging when people say, specifically, the Word of God is speaking to me. It's helping me. And I realize that I have certain limitations and I may have faults in some areas. And so what I want is I want God's Word to shape me into the vessel that God wants me to be. And so I have overwhelmingly be, been a very uh, encouraged by the response of this. 
And so hopefully that will continue tonight, but I seriously doubt it. So, as that is the case, I want to share with you, as we continue to progress, uh, we'll read here in verse number 8, what the Bible is telling us to put off as a change of clothes. We are to take off these things. First of all, it was anger. And we covered anger, how it was not something that uh, uh, was just in one moment of time, but anger is truly a habitual attitude that someone struggles with. Someone who is easily provoked to anger. Not all anger is sin, but anger often does lead to sin. That's why the Bible says, Be ye angry and sin not. Is because it is kerosene to the fire of sin. So we have to be very careful and selective if we do get angry at someone. But here's what happens is anger becomes wrath. And wrath is a one-time event. The best way it could be likened to is boiling water. Anger is water that boils within the container, but wrath is uh, water that boils over the edges of the container and it gets spilled out upon all that's around it. And so wrath is a, 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 an overwhelming feeling of anger that lashes out into wrath. So it's somewhat of a step here, anger to wrath and then malice. And this is the saddest place to be for any Christian. Malice is an, a, a, an ill will towards someone. A spiteful, vindictive attitude. It's someone who cheers at someone else's failures and, and, and is angry at their successes. And that is not Christian at all, and that is not of our Savior Jesus Christ at all. But these things are linked. Now we move on this evening and we'll begin with number one uh, in verse number eight this evening. The Bible says, now uh, put off all these anger, wrath, and blasphemy. Now blasphemy, when we first hear this word, it calls to mind someone speaking against our God in a negative way. And specifically the word blasphemy could be defined as this, any utterance that insults God or Christ and gives deep offense to the followers of Him. So when someone steps up and and speaks against God, it is just utter insanity to me how somebody could say that God didn't create all that there is. But uh, when somebody insults our Savior by saying, yeah, we just used to be monkeys, and yeah, we just used to... uh, That's blasphemy. But in our passage, it is not speaking of blasphemy towards God. You see... The entire context of the passage is, has to do with our relationship with our fellow man. So you mean to tell me that you could blaspheme those around you? You could blaspheme your neighbors. That's exactly what the Bible is saying tonight. Blasphemy, more accurately, would be in this passage defined as speech that slanders another or tears them down. You know what I've noticed that a lot of people that slander uh, others constantly and tear others down are doing it in an attempt to build themselves up. But you never get any sense of accomplishment by tearing others down to promote your own self. The Bible here is saying blasphemy is when someone goes at another person with insults and, and, and truly it oftentimes reveals itself as gossip. And especially in a Christian context and setting, uh, a lot of times, gossip rears its head like this. Well, Brother Josh, the other day, 
Brother Marshall came to work and he said some hurtful things. And I just don't think Brother Marshall's in a good spiritual place right now. Or ever. <laughs> and I want you, Brother Josh, to pray for Brother Marshall. Because Lord knows I'm not going to. <laughs> and, and, and we joke about it. But how often does it happen like that? You know, the other day I saw on Facebook that brother so-and-so was somewhere he ought not have been. And I just think it would behoove us to pray for him that he would come forward and confess his sin. It's slander. It's blasphemy. I want you to take your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter number 2. And I want you to learn this, this tonight how we have progressed from anger to wrath to malice, and now we're at blasphemy. And 1 Peter chapter 2 actually tells us the foundation of almost all blasphemy is actually malice. 1 Peter chapter number 2, the Bible says, Wherefore, laying aside all... What's the next word? Malice. Now, we ought to know what malice is, because we studied it two weeks ago... Malice is an, an ill will towards somebody, hoping somebody fails, bringing them down, cutting them down as much as we can, and that's malice. And then the Bible goes on to say, and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking. So tonight, the Bible says that malice launches us into these types of blasphemies. It launches us into this type of malice and this ill will towards some. And I want to take a look at these three here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1. The Bible says, laying aside all malice and all guile. Now, guile is not a word that we would often use in our day and age, but guile in the Bible... Uh, is specifically mentioned, as I recall, how there was no guile found in the mouth of our Savior. He was perfect, and there was no guile found in His mouth. Guile could be defined as a deceit, an allurement. And you say, well, what, what, what does that have to do? It's a deceptive speech that tries to draw others on your own side, is what it is. So as we gossip... Here's what happens. Preacher, I would just like to bring to you a prayer request. What we're doing is we're trying to bring preacher to our side of the fence. And when we have this malicious intent towards somebody, maybe everybody else thinks old brother Terry Hayes is a good fella. But what you've got to do is you've got to convince brother Pickett that he's not such a good fella, so now that you'll have somebody on your side. And so we, we even sometimes will craft lies, and that's what guile is, deceitful speech, so that Brother Pickett will begin to believe my side of the story. And before you know it, that begins to spread, and that's how rumors start. And then before you know it, everybody in the world believes that this person is just the worst person in the world, when not too long ago, they were a pretty good guy. Did you know years ago, there was a rumor that got spread around that Abraham Lincoln had been stolen from his casket? This rumor circulated so much that people actually went and dug up Abraham Lincoln who had rested there 22 years just to look at his bones and put him back in the ground to confirm nobody had stolen his body. 
It's funny how lies get circulated, but how easy it is to believe lies. That is a deceitful guile. We begin to craft lies about others. And here's what I absolutely love in a Baptist church. I love it no matter what anybody says. And by love it, I mean I loathe it, okay? I loathe when somebody tells me a half story. Well, Brother Andrew... Me and Miss So-and-so, we got into a heated exchange, and I'll tell you everything that they said that was mean, hurtful, and crude, but I won't share with you what I said that were all those same things. And so then what my mind goes, I can't believe Miss So-and-so said that. But what you failed to mention is you had just called her mother. uh, you, You see what I'm saying? And 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 that's what happens. We are deceitful in our speech. And we begin to pick sides. We say, hey, I need you to come to my side of the fence. When oftentimes we'd be a lot smarter staying on the side of the fence with everybody else. What a sad thing when Christians begin to fabricate stories so that people will join their cause, a malicious cause, might I add. And we, we, we choose teams in a church. Hey, We're all on the same team, and that team is Jesus Christ and spreading the gospel of His glorious death, burial, and resurrection. That is our team. There is no red team. There is no blue team. There is no right side of the church. There is no left side of the church. We ought to strive together for the faith of the gospel, the Bible says. And so we ought to be careful with our guile, because that's oftentimes how these blasphemies start. Verse number one, we have to be careful with our hypocrisies. Now, if there's any trigger word in the Bible, this has to be it. You want to cut a Christian deep, you say, you're a hypocrite. There's probably not a worse insult in all the Bible than calling someone a hypocrite. Why? Well, because hypocrites are identified with constantly beholding everybody else's failures and overlooking those of their own. It was the Pharisees who saw the sinful woman as just a person who didn't belong at the same seat, with, at the same table with Jesus, and yet they held themselves in such high esteem that they themselves believed they were more religious than our, our Savior. It's hypocrisy. Luke chapter 6, verse 41. You can turn there if you want, but I'll read it for you. It, we're all familiar with the passage, but the Bible says... And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull this mote that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye. This is what the Bible says, Thou hypocrite. Thou hypocrite. How can you look at someone else with such a judgmental attitude that you say, man, you're just such a... And then you don't even behold the fact that you're probably not the polished vessel of God's grace either. It is comical when you get on interstates nowadays how people will cut each other off and they're just, you know, waving fingers at you and they've got little Messiah bumper stickers on there, you know, Jesus saves, and they're cutting you off. And then they get cut off, and they're angry at the person that cut them off. Like, there's no justice in this world. It's so silly how we can behold everyone else's failures, 
but we cannot see those of our own. You know what I've always found unique? And this maybe gives you a little insight to how weird my mind is. But I found it unique how my eyeballs cannot see me. Now I can see everybody else clear as day. But I can't see my own, my own self. I can't see if I've got a booger hanging out of my nose. I can't, <laughs> I can't see if I've got broccoli between my teeth. But I'll tell you what, if Brother Robbie had some skull left in... No, 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 I'm just kidding. Look, I can see everyone else clearly, but you know the only person I have difficulty seeing? Myself. And that is the exact reason God gave us His Word. Did you know the Bible talks about how it is the perfect law of liberty and how James says, a man that heareth the word and doeth it not is like a man that beholdeth his face in a glass and considereth not the manner of man that he is. So he gets up from the dinner table as he's looking in the perfect law of liberty and goes his way like nothing's wrong. But when you read God's word and it convicts you and it begins to speak to you and says, here's where you're not so good and what it does is it humbles you in the sight of your God and asks for His grace as you try becoming the vessel you ought to be. And it gives you a little grace to spread abroad to those around you because you realize you ain't all that in a bag of potato chips. That's what happens. So many Christians are hypocrites. You know why? Because they have no real knowledge of what God's Word tells them that they are. The longer you stay away from that book, the better idea of yourself you'll have. But the more that you bring yourself to your knees and you begin to exalt this book in your life, it will tell you where you're not great. And it will tell you things that you need to work on. There has no man arrived in God's eyes. And so that's what God's Word does. It keeps us humble and keeps us from being hypocrites. Not only is there guile, there's uh, hypocrisies. Thirdly, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, there's envies. Now, don't miss this. In the context of why somebody would have malicious intent towards someone, and why they be, would begin to slander someone, and, and why they'd be able to cut them down, and, and they would begin to speak blasphemies against another person, you know what the Bible says one of the main reasons for it is? Envy. Envy. Sometimes when we begin to speak out against others, it's not in a constructive way. In fact, most of the times it's not. Most of our prayer requests that are like, fashioned like the ones I mentioned earlier are not sincerely pray for this person that they'd return home. That's not what I'm talking about. A lot of times what it is is they have something that we want. Whether it's a position in church whether it's other people's respect and regard that we want, we begin to tear them down so that we might be able to hurt other people's opinion about that person. Envies. What a foolish thing for any of us to want to do is, is looking at others and saying, hey, I don't want them to succeed because if they succeed anymore, I'll look worse in my own eyes. I read a story here recently about two shopkeepers who hated each other. One shop was on this side of the road and directly across the street was the other shop. And every day as a, a customer entered the other shop, the one who had the customer coming into their shop was excited and cheered over his victory over his opponent. 
and the other one watched his door daily, hating the fact that he would get a customer and he would not. And so he, uh, these two men hated each other. One night these two men went to bed and an angel appeared to the one who had, had not had the customer that day. And he said, here's what I'll do for you. I'll grant you one wish. But whatever you get, your friend that owns the other store gets two, double what you get. So if you ask for riches, he gets double the amount of riches. If you ask for a, a long life, he gets a longer life than you in double proportion. Well, the man was uh, set down and he began to think and he, he didn't want his opponent to succeed, so he tried thinking of a way where he could be happy, uh, but the other man would not. And so this was the wish that he came up with. Angel, I ask that you would strike me blind in one eye. That's folly. But how often do we in, in God's local blood-bought church look across the, the auditorium and say, I hope they don't succeed. I hope it doesn't exist in these walls. I hope we're all cheering for one another and when the other person gets a promotion, we say, hey man, to God be the glory. I'm so glad He's working in your life. I'm so glad He's doing things in your life. And when one person begins to get out of the way a little bit, we pray them back into the way, not spreading rumors, not spreading talebearers, uh, but just being people who love God and love each other and we're loving God as we love each other. That's what my prayer for this church would be. That we not speak blasphemies against each other. Hey, look, we've got enough opponents. There are so many people anti our cause. We ought to just kind of rally together and say, hey, we're all on the same team. Blasphemy. Secondly, I want you to notice this. Back in our uh, uh, text in Colossians chapter number 3, verse number 8, the Bible says, not only are there blasphemies, but there is filthy communication. Filthy communication. Out of your mouth. See, filthy communication is precisely, exactly what you think it would be. It is a low, vile, wicked speech. It is saying things that Christians ought not say. It is uh, 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 saying things that when others hear them, they say, wait, you go to church? That's filthy communication. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 warns us, and it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Man, we ought to be very careful what we say as Christians. Amen. And not only should we be careful about what we say as far as what we consider extreme world words, we ought to be careful about signing off on Christian uh, uh, words. We ought to always constantly be checking our speech, not based upon popular consensus, not based upon our own opinion. We ought to check our speech according to God's holy word. Man, it's amazing. I've grown up in church, and yet I've heard dirty jokes. You know who I heard dirty jokes from? Churchgoers. I don't really have many friends that aren't. And some of the people that tell the best dirty jokes are churchgoers. Tell me how that makes sense. 
everything you ought to do, before you say anything, here's what you ought to consider. Whether or not Christ would say, disciples, gather around. Sit down here at this fire and I want to I share a story with you. A preacher, a priest, and a Buddhist walk into a bar. <laughs> Think about it. Would Christ do the things that you do around a water cooler? <coughs> Filthy communication ought not proceed from our mouth. Boy, one of the quickest ways to look not like a follower of Christ is to spout off and say one word. It, I tell you what, if you do it in front of my wife, she'll lose total respect for you. My wife did, just did not hear those words growing up. She just didn't hear them. She didn't, you know, I, I had some times in my life where maybe I went into a secular form of work and, and maybe some of the guys that were in that form of work were not uh, uh, what we would call sanctified. And so, nor were they dignified, nor did they take baths. But any, either way, but uh, uh, sometimes I went into form of work and, and I was around some pretty coarse language. And so I heard those things. My wife just didn't. She had a very sheltered upbringing, and praise God for that. That is not a shameful thing at all. But I tell you what, if you say something around my wife, if you slip, she'll lose all respect for you. Not because you don't deserve respect, only because it'll break her heart so much she'll have trouble repairing the the break that she she now thinks of you. She'll say, "How how could they say that? What a shame when Christians begin to cuss. And when Christians begin to use vulgar types of of jokes. It just makes no sense. Many of us months ago heard stories, news stories, about Flint, Michigan. And their water source. How many of you know the actual cause for why their water source turned bad? Well, I did a little research and here's what I found out. Until 2013, uh, Flint, Michigan had contracted the city of Detroit to bring down water from the Great Lakes, Lake Huron, and they actually pre-treated the water in Detroit and sent it down to Flint, Michigan. Until this time, they had never had any problem at all with the water uh, in Flint. But in an effort to cut costs, What they decided to do was, instead of getting water from Lake Huron, the freshest source of water in the the United States, by the way, which is only 70 miles away, instead of doing that, they saved money by getting water from the Flint River, which scientists now have deemed is 19 times more corrosive than the water from Lake Huron. Not only that... Uh, Flint, Michigan, and the the water treatment facility did not use any type of uh, uh, water treatment at all. Uh, They neglected to uh, treat the water, which they estimated at about $100 daily for them to do, and they just failed to do it. Now, the water is 19 times more corrosive. And here's where the real issue came. Is most of the lines, the main lines, are are, uh, steel. And so as the water traveled through those lines, it was no problem. But almost every line, uh, about over one in every two, so over half the homes have lead feeder pipes. 
So the problem was, as this corrosive water went through those lead lines, the lines began to corrode, and people began to drink corroding, rusted lead. Tests have been done, and now babies have lead levels in their blood three times the acceptable amount. I heard a doctor today uh, testify, and she said, if you wanted to stunt one generation, if you wanted to hurt them intellectually, socially, mentally, if you wanted to hurt a generation, you know what you do? Contaminate their water with lead. And yet every day these people for about 18 months lived with this, drinking it. A lady was interviewed and they asked her how she felt about it. She said, I was paying for toxic waste. You know what the problem was? The source. It was the switch from Lake Huron to the Flint River. You know why? Because it was easier. You know what Jesus says? That what comes out of a man's mouth is produced from his heart. You know why people have struggle with their speech? Because they struggle with their source. And Christians oftentimes take the easier route and they don't always take the route that's more difficult but the route that's more blessed. The route that says, Jesus, you control my tongue. Jesus, it's like a fire. Jesus, it's like a rudder. It steers a huge vessel. So I can't take the words back that I say. Jesus, I want my words to be pure. I want them to be seasoned with salt. I want them to be seasoned with grace. Jesus, I want my words to be pure words like your words. But instead, a lot of people say, eh, I'll just kind of wing it. And their source becomes contaminated. And the words that they say, hey, don't tell me it slipped. I've heard people say that before and I say, it slipped, huh? It slipped because you either always hear those words or you always say those words. But the only reason that you would know that word is because you constantly think that word. It didn't slip. Man, the other day I got shocked by a house. I reached my finger into a 120-volt water pump, or 110-volt water pump, and my ring arced out on that water pump, 110 volts in my left arm. And you know what my dad said? <laughs> okay, Ricky. No, he was... He just thought it was funny, and I felt as if my right arm was still on that house when I was running away. I could not feel... I'm, I'm going to describe it as best as I can, okay? You know where it hurt the worst was not on my finger. It was right in my armpit. And it felt like I had just had my armpit up and somebody took a baseball bat. You know, like, not like an Elvis Andrus or somebody like that. Like a Nelson Cruz took a baseball bat, Okay. And he just hit me right in the armpit. And I'm standing over there. And as soon as it hit me, you know what the first words that came out of me, my mouth were? I don't really remember. But I don't think they were all that bad. I think they were like, <laughs> Let me ask you, what would the words have been that came out of your mouth? Because when it's constantly in your presence, when you constantly hear dirty jokes... When a crowd's in a setting to tell jokes, if the only jokes you know are dirty, you're going to say the ones you know. 
So be careful what goes in your ears because soon enough it will affect your heart. And your inflow will always affect your outflow. Filthy communications. It's such a shame, but the Bible here says we deal with anger, we deal with wrath, we deal with malice, blasphemy, filthy communication. And then the Bible goes on to say in verse 9, this is the final point. Lie not one to another. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Now I want you to take your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. These these passages of Scripture that we're talking about today, Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 4, you could accurately describe them as sister passages. They talk about the same Subject matter, but there's one distinct difference. Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 21, the Bible says, If so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. Now notice that, as the what is in Jesus? Truth is in Jesus. That ye, what's the next words? Put off. Does that sound pretty similar to Colossians chapter 3? It's actually identical that you put off uh, uh, the, concerning the former conversation uh, of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now notice, verse 25. Wherefore putting away, what's the next word? Lying. Does that sound pretty familiar? Lie not one to another, as we just read in Colossians chapter 3. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. And that's exactly what it said. Don't lie to each other. Speak every man truth to his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry. Did, hold on. Colossians chapter 3. Wasn't the first dirty delight of the devil anger? Okay, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole still no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Now notice verse 29. Let no corrupt communication. Now that's pretty close to filthy speaking, right? Filthy communication. That's pretty close. So corrupt communication and and filthy communication uh, proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good, Good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Notice, this is the difference of the passages. Verse 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Now verse 31 goes on to say, Let all bitterness and wrath, does that sound familiar? And anger and clamor and evil speaking, does that sound familiar? Be put away from you with all... What's the next word? Malice. The context is the exact same. The letters were written to different churches and yet this man knew that they were all going to deal with the same thing. Put off these things, anger and wrath and lying to one another and filthy communication. But Paul here makes one distinct difference. And what is that? He says, because every time you do it, it breaks God's heart. Grieve not the Holy Ghost. 
Grieve not the Holy Spirit. That ought to matter to us. You know the reason that I didn't do a lot of... Well, okay, let me restate this. I did a lot of dumb things when I was a teenager. But you know the reason I tried not to do a lot more of them? Because I'd afraid, I was afraid how bad it would hurt my dad. I never wanted to look him in the face and say, Dad, we're pregnant. I never wanted to look my dad in the face and say, Dad, can you bail me out tonight? I never wanted to look my dad in the face and see the sheer disappointment that would come if I did something that would hurt his ministry here in Joshua, Texas all these years. Could you imagine the headlines if I had gone out and done something Pastor son of the Joshua Baptist Church breaks into Walmart and steals a fishing pole. Could you imagine the headline? I'd be afraid of what it would do to his ministry and I'd be afraid of what it would do to him. But why would it be any different when my heavenly Father has, done, has moved the world to redeem me and make me His child? Why would it be any different that I would do all of these things. Why would I go to Garrett and tell him a lie to make myself sound better or to, to, build, uh, to wreck others down so that I might build myself up? Why would I do that when all the while the Holy Spirit which resides in my heart every day goes everywhere I go, sees everything that I do, hears everything I hear, and tastes everything I taste? Why would I put the Holy Spirit through that and He's just in my heart saying... Why? You're so much better than this. Man, the love of Christ constrains you to be better than this. Does it hurt you when you hurt Him? Have you lost the tear that used to be in your repentance prayers? You know when you used to bow a knee and say, I'm so sorry. And now it's just kind of a formality. Right? God, I'm really sorry I screwed up. Does it hurt you when you hurt Him? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God is grieved, but it goes on to say He's going to stick with you. Whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. I'm so thankful today to tell you that no matter what you do, no matter what you say, no matter where you go, the Holy Spirit of God's going to stay with you. And the Bible tells us when we stand before Jesus Christ and we stand before God the Father, He cannot deny Himself. In other words, when He looks at you, He'll see the Holy Spirit of God that sealed you, and He'll see the rags of His dear Son that clothe you, and, and He won't see your faults, but you will be gloriously accepted by a holy Heavenly Father. And can I get an amen for that? But while we're here on this earth, never forget this. Every time you do something that God is not pleased with, it hurts Him. It affects Him. Anytime you say something about Brother John, it hurts Him. And Brother John probably deserves more than half of it. Probably on the scale, I would say it would be more than more than half of it. But it hurts Him. Hey, look, just because what you're saying is truth doesn't make it justified. Amen. 
Just because so-and-so did that doesn't mean it's good to spread that. Look, what we need to do as Christians is realize our relationship with others is almost as important as it is with our Heavenly Father. You cannot be right with God and be wrong with men. And you cannot be wrong with men and right with God. So we, very, we need to be very aware of the relationship that we share with one another. I, I believe that the Bible several times says that God is truth. I believe the Bible says that the Spirit of truth is who has sealed you. Jesus said, I am the truth, the life, the resurrection, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father. So... All three of the Godhead dwell in truth, right? Would we all agree on that? Consensus view, they're all in truth. You know who deals in lies? Exactly. In fact, Jesus teaches, as He looks at the hypocritical Pharisees, He says, ye are of your father the devil. He's the father of lies, and there is no truth in Him. You know one of the best compliments that I can receive as a dad? And I never get them people come up and they say, your daughters are so beautiful. They look just like you. And I say, well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. You called me beautiful in a very indirect way. But I appreciate that. One of the best compliments I can say is, oh, uh, Caitlin has your personality. Or or, or Bailey kind of spit-ups like you. You know, right? (laughs) That's a compliment when people say my daughters share traits of mine. Do you share traits of our Heavenly Father that dwells in truth? Or do you share traits of the devil who has no truth in him and dwelleth not in the truth, but is a constant liar? Look, when people look at you, they immediately cast an opinion about your Christianity. Whether it's right or whether it's wrong. You're on the job site, you're at the restaurant. The way you treat a waitress reflects upon your Christianity. It was a shame this week I heard, and I'm not taking this out on you, but this week I heard as someone talked to me about how they had gone to a restaurant and asked waitresses what they thought about the Sunday afternoon crowd. You know the ones that come into the restaurant in their suits and their ties and they, they walk in and, glory to God, we had a good time at church. And then they sit down, you know what? They said they were the worst tippers and they required more service than everybody else. As soon as people meet you, they cast a judgment on you, they cast a judgment on your church, and most importantly, they cast a judgment on the validity of what Christ can do in someone's life. Do you look like your father? Look, these are the devil's dirty delights because they're not so boisterous, right? They're not so easily detected, right? So if, if Sean O'Dell has malice towards me, which he probably should. We, he, I used to play third. He used to play shortstop. So uh, we probably have some malice towards him. But if we do, you know what? It's not easily detected. And the reason the devil delights in these is because Christians have almost made the others taboo and have accepted these as the social sins. Like the ones that are kind of acceptable because other people are in sin. Christian, all I can say to you tonight is, 
be very careful about your relationship with others. Don't ever use the excuse, well, I just don't get along with that person. Well, Christ found a way. Well, their personality just rubs me the wrong way. Well, yours probably does too. Let us, like Christ, in our world, endeavor to make everyone accepted. Look, if somebody else doesn't want to partake in that acceptance that you extend them, that's on them. But may it never be said that you're the problem in any relationship of yours. Go out of your way to be like Jesus and look like the Father.